in each other. Um, so we're going to talk about this, and you know, this might be hard. We've got 30 minutes. Hopefully, I'll get through all this content in 30 minutes. But here's where I hope to land, okay? Sam Chan makes the observation that an organisation moves at the speed of trust. You might have heard him say that. Um, now, having been around for a, a while and, and, and seen various things happen, uh, I, I have to say that, that trust is a, a scarce commodity. What, what I'm hoping to do in these next 30 minutes is create a platform for a culture of trust in your organisation that will help you go further faster. If Sam Chan is right and an organisation moves at the speed of trust, if that's true, and I kind of think he's right. I actually, I'm not even sure that's originally his. So I think actually he gets that from somewhere else. So, hey, some scholarly kind of university study that's actually come up with that, that, that any organisation rises to the level of, its, you know, of trust, not in God, but amongst the members that make up that organisation. And... Uh, if there's one thing I just spoke about, the partisan you know, environment that existing more and more in, in society, um, once that exists in a church, you lose trust. Uh, once, you know, how many know that the right don't trust the left, the left don't trust the right, right? Uh, you know, that Queensland doesn't trust uh, a referee if he comes from Sydney in a state of origin, right? Uh, the, minute, the minute we know someone is coloured, you know, by, by, a, uh, by the other side, we don't trust them. It doesn't matter what they do or who they are. Uh, trust goes out the door. I'm going to give you a contract of trust. You're probably going to have to write this out, all right? I'm going to ask you to write out five statements at the end. I'm going to build up the reason why I'm going to ask you to do that before I ask you to do it. And hopefully by the time we get there, you'll think, man, my life depends on it, all right? So that's what we'll be doing over the next um, 20 minutes. You might, there might be some pushback, and I understand that. But rather than stand up and complain, uh, just sit quietly and go home and have a think about it. Uh, I'm going to start by, by reading some Bible because that's always good. And, uh, and that, that will give us a, uh, a springboard into uh, the difficulty of this and why we need uh, so, so, so important for the future of our ministries. Um, what makes it so hard to trust? Isn't so much as what you've seen, frankly, and I don't know who I'm talking to here this morning, but I know I'm talking to some people in this room. It's who you've become. Um, what you've seen has actually affected who you are. And now you're a human being who finds it difficult to trust. Uh, it becomes who you are in the context of your family, in the context of your employment, your job, in the context of your ministry, uh, the context of every aspect of your life. Over time, we see things and things just have a tendency to start to change. Um, the scripture that I'm going to read from is a scripture that is being read from as I speak from all, uh, all around the nation. This day is the day when people read from this particular, this particular passage of scripture. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because everyone gets married today, right? <laughs> Everybody likes, you know, the love chapter at their wedding. So I read the love chapter at my wedding, will you please, pastor? And... Uh, and so let's have a look at it, shall we? The love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Love is patient. Everybody said, Amen. How many parents in this room really wish their kids would have more patience? Amen. How many people in this room wish their partners would be more patient? I mean, patience is an easy sell for everybody else. Love is patient. That's true. Love is kind. 
And amen. I wish my kids were kinder to each other. Right? I, I, wish my, uh, I wish my siblings were kinder to me. I wish the world was kinder to me. <laughs> Why don't you read this and do what it says? Love is kind. Say so you love me, then be kind to me. Love is kind. We, yeah, that's an easy sell. Love does not envy. It, it does not boast. It's not proud. All of that. You know, I, I'd love to ram into the heart of all of my kids. Don't be patient. I mean, don't be patient. <laughs> they got that one. <laughs> be more patient. Don't be proud. Don't be boastful. Love isn't rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's no filing cabinet in your head. You know what I mean? It says, well, on the 15th of May, 2013, you did this. It's not there. The filing cabinet's been uh, burned. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. That's not talking about theological truth. That's talking about relational truth. Uh, and, and then we get to, he, he gives in verse 7, these four quick phrases. And we, we bump up against our, 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 um, our idea. Love always protects. Always? Yeah, always. Hmm, okay. Love, here it is again, always trusts. Wow. Is that something that we'd ask our kids to do? I'm happy to ask my kid to always be patient. I'm happy to ask my kid to not be proud. Always trust? I'm not sure that I want that for my children. Stranger danger. Don't trust people. You don't know. What is this? Paul starts to just go into some weird territory here. Love always trust. Always? Surely there's an exemption. For you, right? I mean, you've had some rough stuff happen. Surely, if you get up here and take the microphone and tell your sad story, we could convince Paul to rewrite this and say, love mostly trusts. That's a bit bizarre. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. If I could summarise it, I would summarise it like this. Love looks for the most generous explanation for the other's behaviour. In fact, if you want to know what generosity is, and we preach generosity all the time, you know, God wants us to be generous, God wants us to be generous. Generosity has got so much more to do with than your money. It's got to do with your heart. And it's got to do with your heart attitude towards other people. Generosity defined is love. And love defined, I just read, love trusts. Generosity trusts. So you know what happens in church in churches? Um, we have a power move, right? There, there's a, uh, uh, I, I want my way, you want your way. So I'm going to do my best to manipulate and to, and to try to position myself so I win and you're going to do your best to position yourself and so you win and pretty much we don't, trust is gone, baby. Trust, organizations move at the speed of trust. Our organization ain't going anywhere, <laughs> Because we are too busy manipulating each other to try to get our way. Let me talk to you about marriages. <laughs> How many know that marriages move at the speed of trust? And if I'm trying to manipulate my wife by bringing her flowers and doing nice things, but if I'm trying to manipulate her to get my way, then our marriage is going nowhere. Because marriages move at the speed of trust. Trust is the currency of relationships and trust will always look 
for the gen- most the most generous explanation of the other person's behavior. And it works like this. And you may have seen me do this before, I don't know, but it's worth seeing again. <laughs> this is my expectation. If my expectation is here and my experience is here, I have a gap. It's called the gap theory. It's a different one from the Genesis one, but it's a gap theory just the same. <laughs> There's a gap. Now, what do I fill that gap with? Mostly, we fill that gap with suspicion. Um, you said you'd be there at 10. Last week, you arrived at 10.30. The week before, you arrived at 10.45. I'm suspicious you're going to be late again, <laughs> right? And any time, this is just by the by, any time when you let me down, it's to do with your character. If I let you down, it's to do with the circumstances, <laughs> If I'm late, it's because there was a red light, I had a flat tyre, it's because my wife did whatever she did, right? Uh, but if, you late, if you're late, it's because, well, you just can't be trusted. You can't, you can't get on time to save yourself. So that, that, that's, that's a human nature thing. I'll always define my gaps in terms, of, uh, in terms of external experiences, but your gaps in terms of your character. Uh, and so gaps, you have gaps everywhere, by the way. Uh, there's, you know, you, you, you'd, be, you'd be working with no more gaps for the next 10 years if you're going to try to fill up the gaps in your life. <laughs> You've got gaps towards your parents where, they, where you expected them to do this. I expected you to say, oh, I love you. I expected you to kiss me goodbye. I expected you to give me a present. I expected this and I got that and there was a gap. You've got gaps with your parents. You've got gaps with your spouses. You've got gaps with your pastor. You've got gaps all over the place. You've got gaps with your leaders. You've got gaps with your boss. You, you, your life is filled with gaps. This was my expectation and this is my experience. Now, here's the deal. If you get everything else, you've got to remember this. You choose what goes in the gap. No, I don't. They forced me to do it. <laughs> he told me, he told me he wasn't going to talk to her again. I saw him talking to her. What do you expect me to think? Or, or, or I, I told him to clean up his room a, a thousand times. He said he's going to do it. He still hasn't done it. What do you expect me to think? Most, of us, m- most people fill their gaps on the basis of what they think they're forced to fill it with in terms of the experience that, that, that they have concluded or deduced from around about them. Um, the funny thing is, uh, most people, if not everybody I've ever met, considers themselves to be trustworthy. You do. You consider yourself to be trustworthy. Can you be trusted? <laughs> no, every cent I get, I give to my mother because I can't be trusted. <laughs> no, every cent I get, I do with it what I want to do with it because I think I can be trusted. And so do you. If you didn't think you could be trusted, you wouldn't have got married. If you didn't think you could be trusted, you wouldn't have gone to work. You think you can be trusted. The funny thing is, I wouldn't, I'd bet London to a brick that somewhere out there, some, somewhere, I can find a person who doesn't think you can be trusted. <laughs> Strangely enough, can you believe there's someone in the world who doesn't think you can be trusted? There's someone in the world who, who, who doesn't think anybody can be trusted. There are people out there, they've left my church by and large now, but they don't think I can be trusted. <laughs> I mean, I've been there for 30 years. There are some people who've been with me the whole time. They think I can be trusted. But there are people out there who don't think I can be trusted. And they've made that conclusion that I can't be trusted. And the closer you are to me, of course, the more difficult that becomes. But I've never met a person 
who concluded that I'm an untrustworthy person. Now, take that thought over about yourself and apply it to the people in your world who you don't trust. <laughs> Let me tell you something about them. They trust them. <laughs> I, would, I would almost bet again, London to a brick, that there's someone out there who trusts them, but you don't. Do you? You're a bit suspicious of them. You're not sure if they can be trusted yet. You just, you see them over there, I'm not sure what they're up to. <laughs> they come along, I'm not sure. And, and, and you telegraph to them suspicion. There's a proven fact that marriages that work or any relationships that work, people go to extraordinary lengths to believe the best in each other. The old adage, love is blind, has some application in this area. Because if I'm not projecting trust, I'm projecting suspicion. And there's something about you that picks up either way. If I'm suspicious of you, you know it without me even telling you, and I can't explain why. And if I'm suspicious of you, if, if I get home and my wife's suspicious of me, you know, I didn't do what I said I was going to do, or, or she's not sure that I'm going to respond and she's suspicious of me. You know what happens in, in our relationship? And when you've been married for 34 years, you, you have your ups and you have your downs, you know? What you do is you close down. When you're suspicious of me, I close, close down. I close down. <laughs> I'm not speaking. I'm just going in another direction. Because you, you are a magnet to inclusiveness. People are magnets to inclusiveness. That's why we go back to the previous sermon. You know, Jesus, he included those publicans and sinners or whatever, uh, tax collectors and sinners. He, he, he was, people are magnets. People cannot help but be attracted to where they are trusted. We talk about love as if it's some kind of emotion, you know. Love is the ability, love is the commitment to trust. Love always trusts. Don't throw the rock at me. I didn't write it. Love always trusts. Suspicion, is, suspicion becomes a form of rejection. And rejection is the stuff of hell. Rejection, the soul cannot deal with. Your soul cannot deal with rejection. If I feel I'm rejected by God, then God doesn't exist because my soul cannot deal with rejection. If I feel I'm rejected by the church, if I feel I'm rejected by a group of people, then I'll do everything in my, my, in my mind to completely uh, illegitimize their existence because your heart cannot deal with rejection. But rejection is a result of suspicion and suspicion is what you telepathically communicate when you don't trust. I either trust you or I'm suspicious of you. Now, as I said, you could get up here and, and, and you could say to me, well, you don't know what happened to me. You know what he did to me, John? You don't know what he did to me. I put my whole heart in his hands and he stomped all over me. I'll never trust again. I can't trust. You need to understand that the issue is you. I can't trust. You are the issue. You need to go home and you need to look in the mirror and say five times over again, I can't trust. <laughs> I can't trust. The best shot that you have in healing a relationship is to expect the best of them. Just, just start to say, well, you know, uh, I don't understand it, but I'm sure there's a good reason for it. And do you go to extraordinary lengths to think the best of people. 
I was only having a conversation with my wife three days ago over a certain thing that happened in our state. A certain person wrote a certain letter and a certain thing. And, and, and I said to her, I said, well, I said, you know, by all, me, by all means talk with her, but we've got to expect the best of people. We've got to assume the best of people. Anyone can assume the worst, but we have to assume the best. Let's assume this person is operating out of the highest motives. Let's assume this person is coming from, in their own minds, the greatest good. We have to assume the best. And the higher you are in leadership, the more you've got to learn this lesson. Because the more there's the opportunity to start to, you know, speak badly about people, frankly. And, and you know, here's the deal. You've got to watch the one-on-one conversations. That's where it happens. You know, on the road to Emmaus, how many were on the road to Emmaus that day when Jesus turned up? It was no, no coincidence there was two. Because those conversations don't normally happen when there's three. Because I'm not sure if I trust the other one. <laughs> when there's two, right, then I've got as much on you as you've got on me. So if you tell, I'll tell so I can trust you. <laughs> and it's the conversations that happen when there's one-on-one and Jesus turns up and says, what is this conversation? And what, what, uh, what I find remarkable about that is that these were disciples of Jesus. They couldn't see him. They were restrained from seeing him because their conversation wouldn't let them. And I wonder how many times our conversation about people doesn't let us see Jesus in the middle of bringing the solution. Because we assume the worst. Oh, they, they've crucified him. They're going to get us all, you know. <laughs> Only a matter of time. I thought he would have done better than he did, really. You know, I thought he was going to liberate us from all of Rome's power. Look what he did. He's let us down. And they're talking like this to one another. And Jesus turns up, they don't even recognize him. And it's the one-on-one conversations. It's when the night's over and it's just you and that one other person is getting late into the night. And, you know, so you start and then you start, well, I'm not sure. And then you start to complain about people. You start to undermine people's motives. You start to undermine uh, 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 people's actions. And pretty soon you're becoming more and more virtuous while they're becoming more and more villainous. The best shot that you have on healing any relationship starts in your heart by you assuming the best of that person. No matter how hard this is, I'm going to assume the best of them. I don't know, have you ever been in a situation I have, in an office situation, <laughs> in a church office situation, I've been there, uh, and I've taken the team away and boom, it happened, you know. It was kind of like, I don't trust you, 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 I can't take this anymore! Boom! Oh, I can't stand this and I can't stand that. And everything got better from that moment on. Ha ha. <laughs> In fact, that was the end of it. That person had to go. Because they, 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 they assumed. And when it all started coming out, I was standing there. I was shocked. I couldn't believe what they were saying. <laughs> I mean, stuff about the way we do wages in our, on, our, on our team. And they were thinking that, we had one way and he was the only one who had a different way and somehow he was missing out on what the rest of us were doing. And I'm thinking, what the? <laughs> Where's this coming from? Well, it all started with an assumption of the worst. It all started in not believing the best. And, and sometimes in relationship, you have to go to extraordinary lengths to believe the best of the other person. But I've got to tell you, there's no win without it. What happens, however, what happens when you get to a point and you can't bend any further? What happens when, you, when, when to bend further would mean you break? What, what do you do then? 
great question. There's a great answer. In fact, the answer is so great, it didn't come from a book I read uh, or an experience I've had. It came from Jesus. Funny thing about Jesus is he gives very little um, procedures in life. Jesus doesn't say, raise your kids, A, B, C, D, you know. Jesus is, is, is not some, you know, um, uh, focus on the family expert, right? <laughs> you know? uh, Jesus never did a seminar on raising children. <laughs> in it, in it, well, that's right, he didn't have any. Uh, but, well, he, he created them all, however. Uh, he never did a seminar on marriage. Well, he wasn't married. Yeah, well, he was the bride of Christ. You know, anyway, doesn't matter. He's the bridegroom. Um, the, point, the point I'm simply saying is that human relationships can seldom be defined by a formula. And so Jesus gives principles. He, he doesn't give, Jesus doesn't give a lot of process. He doesn't give a lot of instruction manuals. We love instruction manuals. Jesus just gives two principles. You know, love God, love people, work it out. You know, and uh, I love that. <laughs> Other than this, this is the, from what I can find, this is about the only time when Jesus prescribes what you have to do in this moment, when you can't bend anymore. Jesus actually tells us what to do. You think, what do I do? What do I do? This is about as clear and as plain and as directive as Jesus gets. He says, if you come to the altar and you have something against your brother, you leave your gift at the altar, what do you do? You you ask. You go to them. How do I know I've got something against my brother? I've got nothing against my brother. I'm pretty pure. Okay, here's how you know. Write this down. This is how you know. You're having an imaginary conversation with them. (laughs) When you're having imaginary conversations again and again, it's time to have an actual conversation. The reason you're having an imaginary conversation is because you have something against your brother. And what did Jesus tell you to do? He told you to ring up your other friend <laughs> and, and just say, look, I'm just, we just need to be praying about this, you know. We need to be praying about it. Just giving you this year as a, as a prayer point. <laughs> he, he doesn't tell you to gossip about it. He doesn't tell you to, you know, try to heap people on your side against them. If I bend, I bend, I bend, I bend. And if I cannot assume the best in a given moment, then what I have to do is I confront, I ask. Now, how you ask is really important. How you ask is really important. If you go in there with a, with a suspicious ask, James, why did you do this? Immediately, he's on the defensive and we're gonna get nowhere. So I'm going to James, assuming that James is, is pure as the driven snow on this, but I've misunderstood it. My assumption in the confrontation is that I have misunderstood. If my assumption is, I'm virtuous and he's a, you know, he's a villain, then this is going to get nowhere. If I can go to James, if I can say to James, hey, mate, can you just square this away from me? I just, just, this is just bugging me and I can't, I, I, I can't get it. I'll give you an example of this in my own team in the last little season. I've got this guy on my team and when he's preaching, you know, he says things like, oh, um, it's a good idea, you know, amen. Sort of, he's looking for, you know, some sort of feedback from the, from the congregation, you know. Amen for that. Or you like that, you know what I mean? And, you know, he needs some validation as a preacher, whatever it is. <laughs> and, uh, and he's looking for it as he preaches. 
Yet when anyone else preaches, he just sits there. That was really bucking me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, you keep asking for something, but you don't give it. What are you, stupid or something? And uh, so, uh, you, you know what I had to do? I had to, you know, I, I just, oh, well, you know, maybe got a headache, you know. <laughs> Happens again, you know. Or maybe he's just, maybe he didn't agree, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I got to a point where I couldn't assume the best anymore. And I had to go into his office. I had to say, hey, mate, can you just square this for me? I just, I'm a bit stuck here. You know, when you preach, you're sort of looking for involvement from the congregation. Not fantastic. Oh, I have no issue with that. But, but when you sit there, you don't give any. So I, I'm, I struggle with that a bit. You know what he said to me? He said, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, I can't believe that. I said, oh, no, it's, it's true. And he said, it's never even occurred to me. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. <laughs> I'll keep a note on that. Brilliant. We just moved on with life. And, uh, and ever since then, he's been a little bit more. Because <laughs> he knows he's being marked. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying? We all get to a point, and he's a good brother. I love him. He's a great brother. But this was just, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, this, this is incoherent. This doesn't make any sense. And so you get to a point where, you know, you can sort of, well, you know, he's having a bad day. Well, this, well, this, well, this, well, this, well, this, well, this, well, this. But the way I went in there said everything. If I'd gone in there with some kind of, you know, I'm virtuous and you're a villain, you know, some kind of, you know, you can't do this. You can't say that and then do this. You can't do that. You lose credibility. If I went in there, you know, undermining his character, I mean, he's going to defend himself because he wasn't even aware of it. Are you serious? He said to me. I never, I never even knew. And and that's how we grow. Now he knows. Because someone loved him enough to bring it up and just not get cranky and angry with him in the background. And then he does something else and that goes on top, and something else and that goes on top until I can't stand it anymore and I blow my stack at him. And he completely defends himself and says, You're wrong. And what, and what happens then? Psh, we're finished. So when you don't know, uh, when you, I should say when you can't bend, um, you go to them. Okay, quickly and we're done. Let me give you the, let me give you the agreement, all right? The agree- this is our trust covenant as a team. I've worked this through with my whole team. So this is the way we operate. We must operate like this. We've got... We've got 10 covenantal commitments as a team that we've worked through. I said to my team, I said, what, did it, what, what, what if, if we all were you know, dying in three weeks, what would we have to let our predecessors know? What would they have to know to keep the dream alive? You know, not where the communion cups are. And, you know, <laughs> what's the password for the, for the photocopier? Not that stuff. Uh, what, what would they have to know? Or this thing, this thing sort of comes in. And we went through and we came up with 10. And we you know, narrowed it down, narrowed it down. 10 was the, the, the least amount we could come up with, which I was kind of thrilled with because God did the same. But, uh, <laughs> but um, we, we thought, we, we came, this was all predicated on this. If, if, if this falls over, the other nine don't stand. 
It's actually all predicated on our ability to trust each other. Because as long as there's high trust, you know, it gets back to the whole Sam Chan thing, you know, high trust, high performance, low trust, low performance, you know, high trust, low expense, low trust, high expense. He's got a whole thing on that. So here are the five commitments for trust so that you can always trust because some of you still don't believe that you can do it. Let me say, you can't always trust. That's just stupid. This is what the Bible says, but no one really believes the Bible, you know. <laughs> you know, I was there. You know, we, yeah, we believe it, but we don't do it, you know. Uh, n- num- number one, number one, where there is a gap, I will believe the best, right? So remember, life is filled with gaps, expectation and experience. I choose what goes in the gap and I choose the best. Number one. Number two, when others assume the worst, I will come to your defence. Now, this is really important. And I think if you're a leader, you'll get a chance to do this in the next couple of weeks. I I got a chance to do this just a couple of weeks ago in in my staff when one of my team started talking badly about a Christian organisation. Not another church, but just a particular Christian organisation. And I came to their defence because that's, that's our culture. That's what we do. They're not here to defend themselves. So we can't, you know, yeah, yeah whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, you can talk about your experience and you can try to define what they do as terrible. They're not here to defend themselves. So I will defend them. And I said a few things. He shut up and we never had the discussion again. Because I... I uh, I don't want to be the person who people complain to about someone else. I don't want to be the person people come to me and go, you know, you know that, that uh, you know that James, you know, he's not a bad pastor, but you know, <laughs> or, or or you know, Darren Hayo, you know, he, he he's not a bad youth pastor, but <laughs> and then then we start to butt him. <laughs> I I I will I refuse to be the person who receives that. So so here's the commitment. This is all about trust. These things all flow into each other. You can't, you can't um, cherry pick this stuff. You've either got to decide that you're a man or a woman of love or you're not. So I'll defend in their absence, in your, if someone comes to me and they say, this, this, this about Ben Natoko, I knew that for years. No, I will, <laughs> I will say, really? That's not my experience with Ben. Whatever, whatever, whatever. In fact, you know, this happened yesterday on my staff. You might have a terrible staff. <laughs> they came to me and they said, is, it, is everything okay with so-and-so? I go, oh, yeah, that's always a great line, isn't it? Eh? <laughs> is everything okay with so-and-so? I said, oh, I don't know. Yeah, like, why do you care? <laughs> like, where are we going with this? Oh, they said this, 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 and this, and this, and oh, I don't like that, and I can't do that. And I, I said, talk. To them. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm not interested. If they're saying things to you you're not happy about, talk to them. Don't come and whinge to me about it. Oh, he's the big boss, he's got a big stick. Well, I'm not putting my big stick in your hand. <laughs> exactly. If what I experience erodes my trust, I will come to you directly. Number three, I'll defend you. But if I can't bend, I will talk. That's what Jesus said to do. I will talk to you. 
I won't talk to him. I won't talk to her. I will talk to you. I will come to you directly. Number three. Number four. If I'm going to cause a gap in your life, I will tell you ahead of time. Because we all cause gaps. Now, I might miss some of them, right? But if I can see one coming, I'll tell you. So if I can't get there, if I say I'll pick you up and I can't get there, I'll tell you. Or if I say I'll tell you ahead of time. I'll do my best to anyhow. I'll do my best to tell you ahead of time if I'm going to create a gap. I had one of my team say to me, rang, rang me up and said, hey, hey, I'm just I'm about to create a gap. Oh, really? <laughs> tell me more. Uh, they said, well, this has happened, this happened, this happened. Now that's going to happen. A gap's going to happen. Now I said, thanks for, thanks for giving me the, the heads up on that. I know that there's a problem coming now and I've got a, I'm, I'm ahead of it. So this, you know, you've got to teach this over and over and over and over again. This has got to become the culture of your group. If I'm going to create a gap ahead of time, I'll tell you. And the last one is, if you ask me, I'll tell you the truth. You okay, John? Yeah. <laughs> you okay? Yeah. You sure there's nothing wrong? No, it's all good. <laughs> Until kaboom. I've I got to have enough self-awareness to be honest with you. You can't mean to say, hey, listen, mate, well, yeah, well, this, you know, you work through. Have you ever had a situation, oh, this happens all the time, doesn't it? Where you have this predisposition towards an individual until you find out their story, and all of a sudden all the walls come tearing down. Doesn't that happen all the time. This is a true story about a guy on a on a, um, a railway line, and he was sitting there, you know, minding his own business, reading his book. This bloke turned up with these four kids out of control, and these kids are running around pushing him and poking him as he's trying to read his book, you know. They're putting um, bits of, you know, lo- lolly paper into the machine, hoping they can get, you know, drinks out, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the, what looks like the father of the children is sitting there doing absolutely nothing. And this guy who's trying to read his book is getting crankier and angrier and angrier and crankier with the fact that this, you know, the father of the children is doing nothing. Uh, and, and finally, you know, he's just about to explode. He gets a hold of himself and he engages the oldest of the kids starts talking to the kids and he finds out they've just come from the hospital and their mother has just died. How many know that all the anger he had towards that man just evaporated in a moment? Because now he knows his story. And I wonder how many people in your life that you're cranky and angry with that you have concluded for whatever reason that you need to hold them at an arm's length because you don't trust them. If you could actually find out their story would transform the whole thing. One of the most powerful things I think any team can do is sit around a room and just, what, tell me your story. James, what, what, you know, what, you, how did you come to be here? Tell, tell, me, tell me your journey. Because as we understand one another's stories, build trust. And trust is what lubricates your organisation. Trust is, is, is what allows it to continue to move forward. Jesus gave us great insight when he said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And let's face it, don't you want people to assume the best of you? Well, if you want people to assume the best of you and we take Jesus seriously, then maybe we've got some work to do. Amen? Let's stand together. Amen.